parables of Jesus. We told you when we started that uh, some of the parables of Jesus are quite lengthy. We haven't really gotten to the really long ones yet, like the parable of the lost son is a very long parable. Uh, the parable of uh, the sheep and the goats is a very long parable. But we have looked at some parables that are a little bit greater in length than others. Tonight we're going to look at four parables, all of which are very brief. Uh, but all of them revolve around a particular theme. And that theme is relationship versus religion. Relationship versus religion. Religion gets a bad name. Uh, I'm going to give it a little bit of a bad name tonight. Uh, because when we use the term religion, we often uh, talk in terms of tradition, in terms of ritual. Uh, and, and, and please don't misunderstand. There's nothing wrong with tradition. There's nothing wrong with ritual. I believe in tradition, and I believe in ritual. But I don't believe in ritual and tradition for ritual and tradition's sake. I believe that ritual and tradition have a place, and if you understand what the place is, then that's what we should engage in. I believe that if you don't know why you're doing something, or why you're saying something, or why you're thinking something, uh, that, that, that you should not feel obligated to do it just because somebody else did it in front of you. Uh, uh, that, that there are things that we do, particularly in the church, that, uh, that, that, that fall along the lines of ritual and tradition without a true understanding of what it is that we are doing. Now, some of them are mild, don't matter a whole lot. If you do it, fine. If you don't do it, fine. Others of them, and, and these are the ones that we're going to be lifting up uh, tonight, they matter a little bit more because they have to do with our understanding of our status and our relationship with Jesus Christ. What we're going to see tonight, and, and, and it's a series of parables that fall in the same passage of Scripture. I want you to turn, please, to Mark chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 22. What we're going to see here is that the ritual is uh, something that was espoused by a group of people within Judaism called Pharisees. And the problem with the rituals that the Pharisees were promoting was that the Pharisees were saying that unless you stuck with the ritual, that it estranged you from God. That, that, that not following the ritual somehow made your relationship with God less than what it should be. Believe me, there are modern-day Pharisees in the world today. There are modern-day Pharisees in the church today. 
there might even be, even in this small crowd, there might even be a few Pharisees in, in, in Bible study with us tonight. Pharisees were the legalists of their day. They believed in strict adherence to the Mosaic Covenant. Here's the key. Somebody's going to say, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with following them? God gave Moses the covenant. What's wrong with, 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 with adhering to the covenant? Here's the problem. The Pharisees added to the covenant that Moses gave. And they made what they added more important than what God had actually put there. I know I told you to turn to Mark. For just a second, turn to Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5. I spent a lot of time in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 today at the noon Bible study, and we weren't even talking about what we're talking about tonight. But uh, I'm... I'm starting to believe that most of the problems that we have could be solved if you just paid attention to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and, and 7. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, and I want you to look at verses 17 through 20. And, and, and this is Jesus speaking to the heart of the matter of this relationship versus religion. I'm reading from uh, the message version. Don't suppose for a minute that I have come to demolish the scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. I'm not here to demolish, but to complete. I am going to put it all together, put it all together in a vast panorama. God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and the ground at your feet. Long after stars burn out and earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. Trivialize even the smallest item in God's law, and you will only have trivialized yourself. But take it seriously. Show the way for others and you will find honor in the kingdom. Unless you do far better than the Pharisees in the matters of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom. Now, I, I, I bring that up because Jesus wants to make it clear to us. I'm not opposed to the law. In fact, I have come here to fulfill and complete and satisfy all of the requirements of the law. My problem is in how the Pharisees have interpreted and taught the law in such a way that it has twisted what God originally intended. And the problem for many of us today is that legalists still do that today. 
Legalism didn't stop with the Pharisees. Jesus is dealing with Pharisees, but legalism didn't stop with the Pharisees. Once Jesus' church was established, we, we just celebrated Pentecost this past Sunday, and, and, and Pentecost served as the inauguration of the church, the empowerment of the church. Once the church got on its feet, what you find is that legalists attached themselves to the church. Now, they weren't called Pharisees then. In, in, in the time of Jesus, they were called Pharisees. They were a sect of Judaism. In the time of Paul and Peter and James, who write the rest of our New Testament uh, 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 canon, the legalists are called Judaizers. Judaizers were just like Pharisees, except they believed in Jesus. Here's the difference between a Judaizer and a Pharisee. The Pharisees rejected Jesus as the Messiah. The Judaizers accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but they said, in addition to Jesus, not, 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 now they're wrong already. When, when I say it, in addition to Jesus, you already know they're wrong. Judaizers said that in addition to Jesus, you needed to strictly follow the law, not as God sent it, as they taught it. The most notable problem with that had to do with, with, with the issue of circumcision. Judaizers taught that unless Gentiles, non-Jews, were circumcised, physically circumcised, then they could not be a part of the Christian church. And Paul and Peter and others uh, took a lot of their time to say that that's ridiculous, that, that what you're doing is you're adding a step to the salvation process that God never established, that Jesus never established. And when you do that, then, 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 then the law that you say that you are upholding, you are actually twisting to your own selfish end. Because the Judaizers said, if you weren't circumcised like we are, then you're less than. We are. You, you have an inferior relationship with God. You know how I know I'm getting old? Because of what I'm about to say. This used to be a few years ago. Now it's been more than a few years ago. It's been something like 35 or maybe even 40 years. Well, not, not quite 40, but somewhere between 30 and 35 years ago. Uh, Pentecostals, Assemblies of God, most notably around here, uh, Jimmy Swaggart and his ilk, y'all know Jimmy, right, uh, said that unless you spoke in tongues, you had an inferior relationship. Well, first they said you had no relationship with God. You, uh, uh, unless you spoke in tongues, you didn't have the Holy Spirit. And, and, and they said that for a long time. And then uh, the, the pope that was in power at the time, I can't remember which one it was, sent Jimmy a letter and, and educated Jimmy with regard to the scripture and with regard to spiritual gifts. And then Jimmy changed his tone from saying that, 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 that you have no relationship with God to saying that you have a secondary and inferior relationship with God. And that's when some of these good 
folk started telling you that if you let them, they could teach you how to speak in tongues. If you really want to know how to speak in tongues, you come to us, and we're going to teach you how to speak in tongues. Now, let's be clear. According to what the Bible says, according to what the Acts of the Apostles says, not about Pentecost, but about gifts of the Spirit. Speaking in tongues is a legitimate gift of the Holy Spirit. Anybody who rejects that is rejecting the Scripture. But speaking in tongues is one of many gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the idea that you got to have that one above and beyond all the others in order to have a superior relationship with Christ, not only is it biblically incorrect, but I can prove it's biblically incorrect. And it ain't going to take long for me to prove it. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians, chapter 13. And I ain't going to read the whole 13th chapter because I don't need to read the whole 13th chapter. I can just pick and choose the parts that I need to read. Start with verse 1. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't have love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. Okay, I'm done. I don't have to say nothing else. It's right there in the first verse. When it says angelic ecstasy, that's speaking in tongues. Okay? Because in your King James Version, which I know y'all still reading, it says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, right? That's what it says, right? But have not, doesn't say love, it says charity. Then I am sounding brass and tinkling symbol. So Paul makes it plain right there in the first verse. He does not deny that speaking in tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit. He just says it's not the most important gift. The most important gift is love. So, so we have to be careful about legalists. I don't care in what form they come. Jesus is dealing with legalists known as Pharisees. The early church dealt with legalists known as Judaizers. We deal with legalists today. You put the name on them that you want to put on them. He don't even go to church, so I don't even count him. But, 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 but the problem with legalism is that it sets an artificial standard for our relationship with God. That's why... I said that that, that we're entitling this relationship versus religion. Jesus is less concerned about our sticking to the standard than he is about love. Love is the key. Love is, is the law. Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? Of all the commandments that God gave, which is the greatest one? I don't even have to think about it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments 
hang everything else, all the law, all the prophets. And so for Jesus, the standard is love. Now, here's the key with the, and, and I'm, I'm going to get to the, it's just four, and, and it's not four verses, it's just four parables, and they're all short. I'm going to get there in just a second. Here's the thing, when you recognize that the standard for the Christian is love, then you must also recognize that love reveals itself in different ways depending upon the circumstances. Here's the problem with religion as we practice it. Religion does not acknowledge and recognize that different circumstances require different responses. Religion says that one response fits for everything. Now, I wasn't thinking about this when I started this, but, the, but here's a perfect example of what I was talking about. Sunday. 11 o'clock worship. One of our members took sick in worship. And, 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 and she was very, very ill. And we were told that she should not be moved until professionals got here. Okay? So this was not a situation where someone got sick, and, and as is often the case when they get sick, they, they are carried out and, and, and they're taken care of someplace else and the worship goes on. Here is the case where somebody is sick, stretched out across that front row right there. Now, religion says, worship ain't over yet. Religion says, we, 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 we ain't done the, the, the hymn of preparation. We haven't had the sermon. We haven't opened the doors of the church. So, 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 so y'all do what y'all got to do, and we're going to go on with church. That's what religion says. Common sense says. Somebody is sick right there. And it makes absolutely no sense at all to continue with worship while that person is in the condition that they are in. And so the most loving thing to do in that situation is to say, worship is over. Let's pray for the sick individual and let's go on. Do you understand the difference between religion and relationship? See, some of y'all think that there is one answer for every situation. It's simply not the case. When, 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 when you follow the, the love edict of Christ, do the most loving thing. The most loving thing changes depending upon the circumstances. The most loving thing changes depending upon who you're dealing with. Some folk you can talk to one way, and they can take it, and they're fine. Some folk you talk to them the same way you talk to the other person, you better have your fist ready because a lick is going to be coming from somewhere. Do I have anybody in here who's the parent of more than one child? Even if they're raised in the same house, different children respond 
different ways. And you can't raise every child. I know they, they treated us all the same way. That's why some of us are crazy, because they treated us all the same way. You have to respond to different children in different ways. Not everybody learns the same way. So, 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 so we can't say, if you can't get it, it's because you're dumb. We have to recognize that different people learn different ways, and we have to do the work to find out how this person learns so that we can help this person improve and achieve. It's craziness to think that it's one size fits all. doesn't work that way. And Jesus wants us to understand, I'm not concerned with you meeting an artificial standard. I'm concerned with you meeting the love standard. And the love standard shifts depending upon the particular circumstances that you're dealing with. Whip one child, they'll cry and scream and holler and they'll never do it again. Whip another child, they'll stand there and make you whip them till you get tired. I have, I, I, I have two sons. My, 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 my firstborn, I, I would warn him. I would say, Charles, I'm giving you the three to do this. And I would say one, and he would go right on and do what I asked him to do. When Miles came along, I would say, Miles, I'm giving you the three. Would say one, and he would say two. <laughs> different children, different responses. In life, it's absolutely crazy to expect that the same response works in each and every situation. That's why we're not so much interested in religion as the Pharisees defined it, as the Judaizers would define it, as legalists define it. We're interested in a relationship with Christ where love is at the top. Does that make sense? Let's look at the verses. Turn to Mark chapter 2. Verses 13 through 22. Then Jesus went again to walk alongside the lake. Again, a crowd came to him, and he taught them. Strolling along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, at his work collecting taxes. Jesus said, come along with me. He came. Later, Jesus and his disciples were at home having supper with a collection of disreputable guests. Unlikely as it seems, more than a few of them had become followers. The religion scholars and Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company and lit into his disciples. What kind of example is this? Acting cozy with the riffraff. Jesus, overhearing, shot back. Who needs a doctor? the healthy or the sick. 
I'm here inviting the sin sick, not the spiritually fit. That's parable number one. Verses 13 uh, through 13, 14 set the stage. Jesus has called Matthew, also known as Levi, a tax collector, to be one of his disciples, to be one of those who forsakes what he's doing and commits his life to following Jesus as his master and his Lord. Here's the thing with with, with Matthew, with Levi. He was a tax collector. I know how y'all feel about tax collectors. If y'all think y'all didn't like, y'all don't like tax collectors. They really didn't like tax collectors in the time of Jesus. Tax collectors worked for the Roman government, the occupying force within Israel. Uh, And and, and, uh, their job was to collect taxes for the empire and as they collected taxes for the empire, they would sometimes, quote unquote, they would sometimes skim off the top and keep some of the tax for them. Y'all, 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 y'all remember the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector in his community and, 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 and he was short and he climbed into a tree so that he could see Jesus, and Jesus goes to Zacchaeus and says, I'm going to your house today, and everybody gets mad because he goes to the tax collector's house. It's because there was a widespread rejection of tax collectors. So I'm trying to get you to understand. Jesus has already made a man because he opened the doors of the church, and the tax collector came, and he said, you can be a part of the church. No motion, no second. He just said, you can be a part of the church. So they're already upset. Then later on that evening, he goes to the tax collector's house. And other tax collectors are there with him. So there's a whole house full of tax collectors. And, 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 and the Pharisees are on the outside of the house looking in, and they see Jesus with what, what, what is it they call him? The riffraff. With the disreputable guests. That, that, that's how Mark describes it. With the disreputable. What made them disreputable? The Pharisees had labeled them as being disreputable. You know how that works, right? Y'all, y'all, y'all tell some folks, don't mess with so-and-so. They ain't no good. Stay away from them. Don't, don't have nothing to do with so-and-so. Y'all, 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 y'all know that, right? Somebody gets in trouble, they come home, they start telling the story, and they say, me and JoJo, JoJo, ain't I told you to stay away from JoJo? I know you're in trouble now because you were with Jojo. Y'all, y'all know how that works. They had been labeled by the Pharisees as disreputable. So Jesus has, has accepted Matthew as part of his disciple crew, and now he's at the table. Understand, 
when you ate with someone, it, 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 it was more than just enjoying a meal. It was a sign of acceptance. I am accepting who you are. I am accepting everything about you because I am fellowshipping with you. So in eating with them, Jesus was not just being polite as far as the Pharisees were concerned. He was making a statement that these people are as acceptable as everybody else. That these people are as acceptable as we are. And we don't think that's right. And so they go to his disciples and they say, y'all following this fool? Y'all see what he's doing? Y'all, y'all, y'all following somebody who's hanging out with the worst folk in town. Here's what I love. Jesus doesn't let the disciples answer. Scripture says he overheard them and he stopped what he was doing. He said, hold on a second. And he turned around and he looked at it and he said, yeah, I'm with them. What you got to say about it? You tell me, who is it that needs a doctor? Well folk or sick folk? Now, I want you to hear what Jesus is doing. Jesus is accepting their argument that these folk are less than. Jesus is accepting their premise that these folk are disreputable. Jesus is accepting their statement that these folk are riffraff. And he's saying, here's what you don't understand. I was sent for the riffraff. I was sent for the disreputable. You, you, you healthy folk, you sanctified, sanctimonious folk, you perfect folk, y'all don't need me because, because y'all got it all already. But, 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 but why would you deny me helping these folk? Because they are humble enough to recognize that they don't have it all. Understand, in, in, in agreeing with them, Jesus wasn't making a statement about the folk at the table. He was making a statement about the folk criticizing the folk who were at the table. What is it that he's saying? He's saying two things, man. He's saying, number one, when people think that they don't need help from God is when they most need help from God. Somebody in here don't think you need help from God. I got it all figured out. Y'all ever get on your knees or whatever prayer posture, because some folk can't get on their knees no more. Amen. Uh, 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 y'all ever tell God, this is the problem, 
Lord, I'm putting the problem in your hands. I'm trusting you, God, to make a way for me out of no way. And I'm just going to wait patiently for you to fix the problem. Because the psalmist said, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart in Jesus' name. Amen. And then you get up from wherever you are and you start trying to fix the problem on your own. That's how I know some of y'all don't really think y'all need God. Y'all might pay lip service to God. But, 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 but you really, you haven't really turned it over to God because you're still trying to fix it yourself. Well, the first thing Jesus wants you to see here is that those who don't think they need help from God are the ones who need the most help from God. Second thing he's saying is people are more important than prejudice. White folk ain't the only prejudiced folk in the world. And prejudice isn't always wrapped around race. There is as much prejudice that exists within the African-American community. as any you will find from folk outside the African-American community. Light-skinned folk versus dark-skinned folk, straight-haired folk versus not straight-haired folk, country folk versus city folk, educated folk versus non-educated folk. We, we, we have as much going on within where we are prejudiced toward one another. People are more important than our prejudices. And if we really operate within the love ethic of Christ, then the love ethic squeezes out all the prejudice. Because you ain't got no room to be prejudging anybody. In the noon Bible study, we just finished a, a study on, on James. I want you to turn to James chapter 5. Because this just happens to fall in line with what we're talking about. Keep, start with verse 7. Key verses, verse 9. Meanwhile, friends, wait patiently for the master's arrival. You see, farmers do this all the time, waiting for their valuable crops to mature, patiently letting the rain do its slow but sure work. Be patient like that. Stay steady and strong. The master could arrive at any time. Friends, don't complain about each other. A far greater complaint could be lodged against you, you know. You see that? You know. The judge is standing just around the corner. 
You know what James is saying? James is saying, while y'all looking down your nose at other folk, thinking that y'all better than the folk y'all looking down at, if you took a good look at you, you would know that you got enough problems of your own. And by the way, there is a judge looking at you, and he's closer than you think he is. He's just around the corner. We, 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 we need to recognize that people are more important than our prejudices. People are more important than, than our attitudes, than, 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 than our snobbery, than our idea that we are better than other folk. Yeah, you're right, Pharisees. I, 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 I'm, I'm dealing with them folk, but, but you know why? It's because I'm a doctor and they're sick. And at least they have sense enough to acknowledge that they're sick. And they've come to me looking for healing. What's your problem? Your problem is that you don't know how sick you are. You ever been around folk who's sick and they don't know they're sick? Do you know do you know what you call sick folk who don't know they're sick? Crazy folk. Crazy folk. If you're sick and you ain't got sense enough to know that you're sick, something wrong with you. That's, 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 that's the first parable. Look down at verse 18. The disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees made a practice of fasting. Some people confronted Jesus. Why do the followers of John and the Pharisees take on the discipline of fasting, but your followers don't? Jesus said, when you're celebrating a wedding, you don't skimp on the cake and wine. You feast. Later, you may need to pull in your belt, but not now. As long as the bride and groom are with you, you have a good time. No one throws cold water on a friendly bonfire. This is kingdom come. Now, in order for you to understand what Jesus is talking about here, what you have to realize is that the Pharisees had established certain days every month that the people were supposed to fast toward God. I told you when we started, the problem with the Pharisees was not that they didn't have zeal for God, but that they let zeal get ahead of intelligence and of the word. According to the scripture, according to the law, there was only one day of the year that was a fast day. That was the Day of Atonement. Only came once a year. Once a year, the entire nation of Israel was supposed to fast. Now, that did not mean that you could not fast as an individual. If you wanted to fast in order to, 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 to draw closer to God and you felt like fasting drew you closer to God, that was fine. But it's one thing for you to decide that you want to fast. It's something else altogether to say, because I'm fasting. Everybody else has to fast, too. 
That's what the Pharisees had done. They had established certain fast days to prove your devotion to God, and they expected all the other folk to follow their rules with regard to fasting. I want you to notice what Mark says. Mark says John's disciples did it. Now, we know who John is, right? John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, the one who baptized Jesus, just like Jesus had disciples. John had disciples. And Mark makes it clear that John's disciples followed whatever the fast days were that the Pharisees had set up. And they wanted to know, all right, John does it. Why don't you do it? Y'all know that mentality, right? Everybody else doing it. Why don't you do it? Everybody else is paying attention to what I say. Why don't you pay attention? Well, first of all, because I ain't got to pay attention to what you say. Because you ain't, as my sister would say to me all the time, you ain't the boss of me. <laughs> Other folk ain't the boss of me. Other folk ain't the boss of you. Jesus is the boss. If the law said that you have to fast one day a year, and you have stretched one day a year to one day a month, that's your problem. If you like missing meals, you go right on and miss a meal. I don't want to miss no meals. So, 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 you do what you want to do. I'm not going to do that. Nor do I have to do it. I want you to see once again, Jesus responds to them without getting into a direct confrontation. He, he actually says, okay, let's take it from your point of view. Okay, th there are fast days. You're going to tell me that you fast when you go to the wedding reception? Some of y'all been to wedding receptions. Some of y'all done paid for wedding receptions. And I know what y'all saying. I paid too much money not to eat some of this food. <sighs> y'all grab little plates and boxes and put them in the box, and y'all going to take some stuff home. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Because you paid too much money for that stuff. Jesus said, I don't know nobody who fasts while the wedding reception is going on, while the bride and the groom are still present. They eat everything that is there. Guess what? I'm the groom. I'm here. And because I'm here, you don't need to fast at all. Eat your fill. Enjoy every bit of it because I am present. If you want to deprive yourself, if you want to go home early, if you don't want to eat, that's on you. Don't deprive the other folk who are enjoying themselves. Don't you hate when somebody's looking over your shoulder what you're eating and they start talking about what you're eating? I don't like that. That, that looks too rare. Ain't nobody asked you to eat it. Nobody asked you to give any opinion on it either. You don't like it? Keep right on walking. I, 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 I was telling the group 
at 12 o'clock. We're talking about something a little bit different, but I was telling the group at 12 o'clock. Stop offering your opinion if don't nobody ask for one. You have the right to an opinion, but you should not feel obligated to always share your opinion unless somebody asks you your opinion. And by the way, the fact that somebody is talking to you does not mean they want your opinion. Some folk just want to be listened to. Some folk just want to be heard. Some folk just want to vent. They ain't asking you for nothing. And unless they say something like, what do you think? Just go, mm-hmm, and let them talk. Tell me how you would handle it. Okay, now, well, now you've been invited to share. But if they didn't invite you, keep your mouth shut. Folk just want to be heard. That's all. I'm the groom. I'm here. Why should you deprive yourself? And understand, Jesus is not talking about physical food. He's talking about spiritual food. And, he, and he's saying, while, while you're going through all these machinations of piety, withholding yourself from eating food, and you know you're hungry, the real food is here, and you won't partake of it. Now, he, he uses the analogy of, of a bride and a groom at the reception. And he says, as long as the bride and the groom are there, you eat as much as you want. Implied in that statement is this. The bride and the groom ain't going to be there forever. Y'all done been to enough wedding receptions, right? You introduce everybody, they come in, they throw the flower, they cut the cake, they smash cake into each other's face, and before you, they, they do the good dance, and before you know it, they're on their way out somewhere because they got something else on their minds. Praise the Lord. But while they're there, you eat. The implications that they ain't going to be there long. Which means you have to take advantage of it while they are there. You get that? Keep going. Verse 21. He went on. No one cuts up a fine silk scarf to patch old work clothes. You want fabrics that match. And you don't put your wine in cracked bottles. Fresh relationships require new expressions. When we're going on in a new life, in a new relationship with God, the relationship with God that Jesus has facilitated and, and ushered in for us, then don't think that you are still obligated to wear the old clothes. If I've given you something new, wear the new. If I have, take it away from clothes for a second. If I, if I have prepared something new for you to eat, 
then don't walk in and walk past the new stuff that I've prepared and go into, uh, I want that old stuff that you had here last week. He says, in order to, to, to experience the new relationship, you need to experience new stuff, new expressions. Because old stuff no longer satisfies. Now, when Jesus says this, is he talking about the law? Is he calling the law something that no longer satisfies? No, not if you understand what the law is. The law, as we said several minutes ago, is love. Love for God, love for our fellow man. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if we understand that that's the law, then he's not saying that you have to abandon the law of love. He's saying you have to find new ways to express the law of love. You're talking about fasting according to the traditions that you have set up. Jesus is saying those traditions were fine for a brief period of time. But now something else has come. And when something else has come, then what you had no longer satisfies, no longer meets the need. You need something else. And you need to quit trying to put patches on something that's broken. Praise the name of Jesus. Some folk just like fixing broke stuff. You place high value on the ability to fix broke stuff. If that's your thing, God bless you. I don't want to fix broke stuff. I want new stuff. She over there? She ain't over there? My, my wife likes fixing up old stuff. Old tables, old chairs, old sofas. Hey, that's what you want to do? You want to fix them up? Go ahead. When it comes to old TVs, we ain't going down that road. I don't want a TV with a tube in it. I don't want a TV with a glass screen on it. I, I, I don't want that. I want the biggest, brightest, newest TV you can find. And that's ideal. She can fix up all the broke chairs she wants. I get the TVs. When, 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 when we moved into our home, she brought a whole bunch of broken stuff into the house. And she had folk who were going to fix this and fix that and fix the other. But when it came to the TVs, I went and bought my own TVs. Wouldn't let nobody else buy the TVs. And I got big bright, new TVs. We didn't go to the thrift store to buy TVs. 
we went and got the best thing that we could get. I don't want old TVs in my house. I don't, the idea of, uh, of trying to fix a broke TV don't make no sense to me. I got new stuff I wanna watch. And I want to see it like it's never been seen <laughs> before. I'm going to get in so much trouble when she finds out. <sighs> you don't put new stuff trying to patch up old things. What you do is you recognize that it's time to throw some old stuff away. There you go. That's right. Second Corinthians 5 and 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Translation, dead. Behold, all has become new. Now, here's what I know about old stuff. <laughs> Here's what I know about old stuff. Old things that are passed away, you bury them. You don't keep them. You bury them. If you want to put a little monument on top of what you buried, here lies. That's fine but you're buried. You're a new creature. Why are you trying to fit old stuff into your new life? You don't need it. Leave it alone. New wine can't be put in old wine skins. That's talking about the fermentation process. And what he says is, if you understand new wine, new wine has to go through a fermentation process, and that causes gases to uh, escape from the liquid, and it causes the container that it's in to expand. And, 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 and if it does not have the proper elasticity, it will burst. It will pop. And, and, and then everything is wasted. So what you do with new wine is that you find new wine skins. And you put it in a new wine so, so, so that when it stretches, when it expands, it can hold it. Now, I've preached on this, and, and that's what I'm going to stop on, this, this, this part. Right. We need to be stretched. One of the reasons why a relationship is better than religion is because religion doesn't stretch you. But relationship does. When you got to hold on to God's unchanging hand and God ain't moving at the pace you want him to move, you got to stretch. When you got to turn the other cheek and you feel like I've turned enough cheeks and I'm ready to do something else besides turning cheeks, you got to stretch. When you have to pray for them 
who are dragging your name through the street. And you don't want to pray, P-R-A-Y. You want to pray, P-R-E-Y. You need to be able to stretch. The gospel can hold you. The gospel will stretch you. But you got to have it in the right container. Old containers won't stretch. They'll fall back into religious posturings and religious habits and religious traditions. And everything will be wasted. But if you allow for the stretching process to take place, what you will find is that God can make out of you more than you ever thought possible. Somebody in here has a testimony. I never thought I could put up with what I put up with. I never thought I could make it under these circumstances. But the Lord brought me through. Thank God for the stretching. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. If there's one, we invite you to come. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I repeat after me, please. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Y'all have a good night.